If you'd all be so kind to grab your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. That's where the text starts this morning, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit more here in a few minutes. But uh, ask you to pray for me a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous. It's uh, been a while since I've actually taught, and uh, um, Brother Rice and I discussed a series of lessons and that kind of thing, and it's all based on a book, and I wanted to show you guys the book. It is written by a gentleman by the name of Carrie Schmidt, and it's called Real Christianity. Uh, we might be referring to the book some, but uh, for the most part, I've got everything typed out onto notes to make it a little bit easier. And Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 3 this morning is our text. The Bible says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, there is no question about God's love for us. We, we read it all throughout Scripture and how that God cares for those that He has redeemed and purchased and bought back. And I'm grateful this morning, thankful that we've got a God that loves us enough to be able to give us a book that can get us through this life. And I am truly thankful for that this morning. The actual title of the lesson this morning is called Convoluted Christianity. And if you are uh, English challenged like I sometimes feel like I am, I had to look up what the word convoluted meant. I'm like, okay, it's a weird way of putting things. And it basically means things that are rolled together. And as I read the definition of it, I, I got this idea of a flower. Uh, and when the bud is first formed, it comes out and it starts to show and it's all folded together. And then later it begins to open up. And as I thought about this, and I thought about it in context with the lesson this morning, Christianity is something that in ages gone by, in the Old Testament in particular, was described in Scripture as a mystery, something that would later be revealed, something that was not meant to be known at that time, but would later become very effective. And as we look at this this morning, the Intent of the lesson is really to give us an idea of what Christianity is supposed to be and what unfortunately it has become. Christianity is really not what it, it's meant in Scripture. Christianity today, you ask the average individual what a Christian is and you're going to get a multitude of answers. Many times, and Brother Schmidt brings this out in his book, Many times the answer will revolve around somebody that's holier than thou, somebody that's high and high and mighty, that kind of thing. They look down on people, and honestly, that ought not be the case. We are nobody. We are simply sinners saved by grace. And I am thankful this morning that that is the case, that we are just simply saved by grace. Brother Schmidt in his book takes the first page or two, and he begins to talk about us as the bride of Christ. And how much work goes into a wedding for you ladies that are in the room? Uh, my wife and I, we cheated. We went to a justice of the peace and said, forget all that mess. And uh, go in, get it done, and forget about it. And uh, you ladies that have been through a wedding, you know all the planning that goes into it. You know all of the work that goes into it, all of the, the pictures, just to make sure everything turns out just right. Well, unfortunately, despite our best efforts, sometimes things just don't go just right. And that is the idea this morning. We are the bride of Christ. We know that. And we know that God has a plan for us. In Jeremiah chapter 29, 
And the Bible says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, thoughts of, of peace and not evil. He wants to give us an expected end, it says in that verse. And God, God knows what he wants us to become and he, he knows what he wants to do in this world. It's kind of scary in a way to think about the simple fact that God has chosen us to be the tool that he uses in this world. Now we know that he's given us the perfect tool. He's given us the word of God, but we know we're flawed. We know we have issues. We know there are problems. But despite that, God says, those are the ones that I want to use. I've heard it said often that, that God could, if he wanted to, he could write the gospel in the sky and let all the world read it all at once and save those that will accept. But that's not the way God works. God wants to use us. And Christianity, unfortunately, has come to a place where it's not what it used to be. It's not what it should be. And in the early part of the lesson, Brother Schmidt brings out two questions. He starts with the first question of, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? I'm not saying, are you religious? I'm not saying, do you go to church? I'm not saying, do you pay tithes? I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm asking if you're a Christian. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? When I looked up the word in the concordance, I looked up the word Christian. It means Christianos is the Greek word in the New Testament. And it literally means a follower of Christ. When I typed up my notes, I made a mistake. I wrote a believer in Christ. Well, the problem is that's not even really accurate because the Bible does tell us that the devils also believe and tremble. So being a believer is not the answer. We can be born again and still not be a follower of Jesus Christ, unfortunately. We can be saved and not be a quote-unquote Christian, not living according to the teachings and the example of Jesus Christ. You know, the things that Jesus did in his earthly ministry were not done to simply amaze us. They were done to show us what we are supposed to be like. We are told in Scripture to be like Him. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what Scripture tells us. We're supposed to be different. When we walk through this life, we need to understand that to be a follower of Jesus means to be different than the world around us. I struggle with those that profess with their mouth to know Jesus Christ, but there's no evidence in their life. And I struggle with my own life to make sure that I don't fall prey to the normal, the normal course of things and say, oh, it's okay, it'll all be fine. But as we look at this lesson this morning, we must understand that for a person to truly be a Christian, they must first have come to the place where they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. There is no other way to become a Christian. You're not going to join a church and become a Christian. That's the key. It's all about Christ. I know a lot of people that are what I would call churchians. They are members of a church. But unfortunately, many churches today have become nothing more than a social club. That's not what it we're supposed to be. That's a different lesson for a different day. But as we look at this this morning, are you a Christian? If you're not this morning, I would invite you 
to stop the pastor, stop myself, stop any of the ushers, stop anybody that you see in this church that you feel they can give you the answers that you need. And I can promise you somebody will sit down with you, take the word of God and show you how to become a Christian. It's a simple matter of faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a bunch of things that you have to do. The next question that Brother Schmidt asks is if you are a Christian, do you really understand and enjoy your Christian life? You know, as I, as I stop and I think about that for just a moment, I can honestly say this morning that there are points in my Christian walk that I've not really enjoyed it. You know, that's a shame. What God has purchased for us should change our entire outlook. I often go back to the weekend that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I remember that Sunday. I remember Monday morning. Specifically Monday morning. Because everything was so different. They say that everything changes and they're not kidding. The grass seemed greener, the sky seemed bluer, life had changed. And my, my outlook on life had changed. And I had something that I had never had before. I had spent six years in the United States Navy, and as I told some children in a youth group in Florida, I searched all over the world trying to find the one thing that was missing in my life, and that was happiness. And I never found it. And I had found something in accepting Jesus Christ that nothing in this world could prepare me for. I found a joy beyond happiness. And this joy brought me to a place where I realized that, that there's so much more to life. But at certain points in my Christian walk, I will be quite honest with you, I have gotten so distracted by the Minutia, if you want to call it that, of being a Christian that I forgot how to enjoy being a Christian. And we all do this at certain points in our life. Husbands and wives do it. We see it on a regular basis. We see folks that have come to the place where they're no longer content with who they're with and they decide they're going to trade 40 for 220s. And you can figure it out. You understand what I mean. And I don't know that's a joke, an electrical joke, but you get the idea. But we, we live our life fickly, if you want to call it that. We're always bouncing from one thing to another. And that ought not be the case. What Christ has done for us should produce a joy in our heart and in our life that we don't want to get away from. But we get, we get bored. And we think that Christianity has become a series of rules and a series of things that we have to do. Your Christianity is not a bunch of rules that you have to keep. Now, I do believe that when we get saved, we should be a different individual. Scripture tells us that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I thank God, and one of the, one of the biggest evidences in my life of the fact that I know for certain that I've trusted Christ as my Savior is the fact that I'm not who I used to be. You ask my wife what I was like before I got married before I got married to Jesus, before I got married to her, she knows. 
She knows what my life was like. And when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I became a totally different person. And I'm a firm believer in being a different person. But following a bunch of rules isn't the way to become that. One of the things that I struggled with, and this isn't a part of the notes, but one of the things that I struggled with in the early years of my Christianity was dealing with the anger that I had within me. I was a very violent individual before I got saved. And it's, I struggled with it for many years, the early years of my Christianity. And until I came to the place where I trusted Christ to be able to deal with that, I was a miserable individual. Yeah, I was happy and joyful that things had changed, but I still had that little bit of evidence from the old man that wouldn't go away. Now my wife, she's the one that creates the fights. I, I let her do it. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, it's really funny, we've been, we're coming up on 32 years of marriage, and when we first got married, I was the hothead. I'd argue, I'd fight at the drop of a hat, and it could be your hat, wouldn't banner to me. And, and somewhere along the way, I am the one, I kind of calmed down, I followed Moses' example in Scripture, uh, trying to become the meekest man in the world, and that, that doesn't work too well, but yeah, I try. And... And somewhere along the way, she picked up the mantle that I had dropped. <laughs> and she became the violent one. Now she's the one that wants to fight with everybody. So it's a good trade on my part. Not so good for her. But we are a new creature. We're supposed to be different. But keeping a bunch of rules isn't going to make you that new creature. It's going to make you a miserable, cold-hearted individual. It's going to make you come into church with a frown on your face going, Preacher, let's just get this over with. I've been there. In the 20 plus years that I've known Christ, I've been there several times. Thank God, God never allows us to stay in that place. Christianity, for all that it is that God has given to us, gives us the ability to come back to him and say, Lord, I am so sorry. Lord, I've made a mess out of my life. Lord, would you forgive me? You know something? He's never said no yet. And he's made a promise that he never will say no. One of the things that Brother Schmidt brings out in his book is that on page number seven of the lesson, right about the middle of the page, he says, it's time to regroup. Catch your breath. Lean a minute. And as I read that short little section, this thought went through my mind. Of the 12 disciples, which do you think would have been the least likely to betray Jesus? I believe it would be John. He's the only one that took a minute just to lean on the breast of the man that loved him. Of Mary and Martha, which of the two do you think would be least likely to be disappointed or to disappoint? Which is the one that sat at his feet and chose that good thing? Scripture is very clear that the choices that we make are not always about the actions that we perform, but the actions that we perform are based on this decision. And they're based on a love for God, a love for Jesus Christ, a desire to be near him. With Mary and Martha, she desired to do nothing more than to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to him as he taught Man, what a great thing for us to be able to do this morning. To come in here, I'm not Jesus. I'll tell you that right now. I am not perfect. 
But I am here this morning on his behalf to act as a messenger to tell you that our Christianity can be what God wants it to be. It can be that joy that allows us to, to live this life and, and to be able to truly, at the end of it, saying it was all worth it. You know, I, I have said in years gone by that my, my son is 30 years old now, and looking back at the years of raising my son, there are a lot of regrets not regrets in my son, regrets in my own actions and my own behavior. And I spent more time worried about putting food on the table and a roof over the family's head than I did with spending time with my son. But which of those is most important? You can live in a shack in the middle of the woods and have no neighbors, but if you've got each other, you've got something that can't be replaced. And, you know, when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's exactly the same. Uh, there's, there's an old song, little is much if God is in it. And that's the same with our life. Our life can be the simplest life you can imagine. Maybe you don't have enough money to go out and eat supper at the fanciest restaurants. Maybe you don't drive the fanciest car. Who cares? If you've got Jesus Christ, you've got something that the, a lot of this world doesn't have. And it allows you to have a joy that those things may meet temporarily, but they will never meet permanently. You're not going to take your car to heaven with you. You're not going to take fancy restaurant receipts to heaven with you. That doesn't matter. It's about a relationship this morning with Jesus Christ. Being able to be close enough to lean your head on His chest if you want to. Of all the pictures, of all the words that we read in Scripture, there's one word that, that means a great deal to me, and that word is Abba, Father. There's something about the word Abba. When I was a kid, my dad, he was dad. and Dad was five foot eight, weighed about 450 pounds, had a, a 56 or 58 inch waist, and when that belt came out of the belt loops, it was the crack of doom. Dad was a walking, talking, bad attitude. He was never my father. He was always my dad. I feared him, and I should. But you know, my father. I've always gotten this mental picture of God as our heavenly father, sitting there with his arms outstretched, waiting for us to just simply climb up on his lap put our head on his chest and say, Daddy, I love you. And he wants that. He wants that from us as Christians. So how has our Christianity come to the place that it's in today? Why has Christianity become so different than what it should be? Why is Christianity described simply as a religion? Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm not a Christian because I come to this church. I'm not a Christian because I have Baptist somewhere in the association with my name. No. I'm a Christian because I one day trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I choose to try to follow Him. When you look up the word Christian, Brother Schmidt, in his book here, he, he deals with the idea of identity theft. 
And Christianity has suffered a great identity theft over the years. He talks about a man that his identity was stolen and racked up, this person that stole his identity racked up about $260,000 worth of debt. In the course of dealing with it, he finally got it down to the point where he only owed $140,000. That's not a very good deal. Having your identity stolen is not a good thing. And for us as a, as a Christian, having the name Christian hijacked by the world around us is not good. There are religions in our world today that are said to be Christian, but they are as far from Christian as you could possibly be. This morning, this is not about whether you're a Baptist or not. I am, I am very glad that I am a Baptist. I'm glad that I was raised and brought up in a Baptist church. I am glad that I was confronted with the doctrines of the Baptist faith. But it's not about being a Baptist this morning. I had a gentleman in a nursing home years ago we were living in Florida, and I went to the room to escort this gentleman in his wheelchair down to the room where we were having service. And out of the blue, he looks up at me, and he goes, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? And I said, I have no idea. He said, I'd be ashamed. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's, that's all well and good. Now, I'm going to say something that may be a little controversial to some. There are many denominations in our world today. Not all of them know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I would venture to say this morning that there are those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior in each of them. They may not realize the exact difference. They may have been brainwashed by what they're in, but that's not it. It's not about the religion. It's about a relationship. If you Google the word Christian, it comes up with two responses. As an adjective, it says relating to or professing Christianity or its teaching, the Christian church. As a noun, it says a person who has received Christian baptism or is a believer in Christianity, a born-again Christian. This is their definition. Even those are not exactly accurate. No matter who you talk to these days, unless you're going to the Word of God to define what a Christian is, you're going to get a weird answer. There are three culprits this morning that Brother Schmidt mentions in his book, and we will focus the rest of our time on those. These three culprits have taken Christianity and made it something that it is not. On page 9 of the book, Brother Schmidt says this, these institutions hold people hostage to man-made traditions, works-based salvation, and complex structures of false teaching. And almost none of their teaching can be found in Jesus' original message. There's a truth for you. Unfortunately, much of what is being taught as Christianity today does not line up with the Word of God. We often say in Baptist circles that the Bible, and by that I mean the King James Bible, is our final authority for all faith and practice. And I mean that. If my life does not line up with the Word of God, I'm not what I claim to be. Do I fail? Yeah. We all do. We all come short of the glory of God, Scripture says. But you know, as we look at this this morning, we, we've got to be careful that we don't have religianity, but we have Christianity.
Now, I know that's not a real word. That's okay. We'll add it to the new dictionary. One of the issues is that often religions make their faith oppressive and confusing. My wife was raised as a free will Baptist. In this area, you don't see free will Baptist churches too awful much. So you might not be aware of what they are or what makes them distinctive. A free will Baptist church is a church that often teaches that you can lose your salvation. If you know the Bible like I know the Bible, and as many of you in the room probably know it more or better than I do, that does not line up with the Word of God. The Bible says what we've been given is a gift, and God doesn't take it back. Yes, we can find ourselves where we feel as if we've lost our Christianity, we've lost our faith, we've lost something. But you know, that doesn't make it the truth. I have a very dear friend that I worked with for years. She's a free will Baptist. She is one of the greatest Christians that I know. She lives a Christian life. But the problem is the oppression and the confusion that is brought about by her denomination. And I'm not here this morning to bash on the free wills. Please understand that. I just use them as an example because I'm very familiar with them. The problem is she's never been able to enjoy her Christianity. She's always in doubt. Have I done something that has caused me to lose my salvation? That is constantly their thought. If you and I have to go through life wondering every day, am I still saved? Did, did I do something? Did I, did I have a bad dream and maybe in that dream say something that caused me to lose my salvation? What kind of Christianity is that? That is not the Christianity of the Bible. That is not the Christianity that God wants us to experience. God wants us to be able to know when we lay our head down on our pillow that we have trusted in Him and that regardless of what happens in that night, should we die, we're going home to be with Him. You know, this confusion, this oppressiveness robs them of their joy. I have talked to this friend for hours throughout the workday not all at once, you get the idea, but for hours throughout the 11 years or so that we worked together. And she has never once been able to tell me exactly what it takes to lose her salvation. But yet she's always terrified that she will. Where's the joy in that? Where's the ability to rest in that? There is none. There's no ability to, to be able to rest. Another situation, and I will not mention the denomination in this particular case, you'll be probably be able to figure it out on your own. Another situation that arises is this idea with some religions that there's only one person here on earth or one group of people here on earth that you can go through to be able to get right with God. The Bible tells us that we have instant access, that once Especially once we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can walk right straight into the throne room of God. We can lay our petitions at His feet. We don't need an earthly intercessor. 
I don't have to go to pastor to ask pastor to forgive me of something that I've done, unless it's against him. If I sin against pastor, if I, if I call him bad names, I should go to pastor and make things right. But you know, I can go straight to God at any time. I don't have to have an earthly ministry that, that is strictly designed to be able to quote unquote make things right between you and God. No, I don't need that. What happens to an individual in this situation that should something happen in their life, they have some unconfessed sin in their life, they find themselves on their deathbed, and there's no way that a priest can get to them. According to their religion, that individual died in their, in their sin and is now bound for either purgatory or hell. Take your pick. That's their teaching, not scriptural teaching. But you know, I could go to the Lord on my deathbed and say, Lord, I've made a mess out of my life. And Lord, I know you saved me. Lord, would you forgive me? And I could leave this life with a clear conscience. You know, we are our own worst enemy when it comes to our actions. The things that we do... Even as I just said that, there are thoughts from my life in the early years when I was in the Navy that came back of things that I did or said, and I still regret them. But you know, this morning, I don't have to pay for them because I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and He forgave me of them. I carry them around in this little suitcase in the back of my mind, and whenever I want to beat myself up, I just open that little briefcase up or a suitcase up just a little bit and I look in there and say, oh yeah, I feel miserable again. I'm good. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We don't have the ability to forget those things. I wish we did. There are times I would love if my head were an Etch-a-Sketch and all I had to do was that and everything went away. Religion is the worst enemy of Christianity. Religion is what crucified our Savior. Religion is what... Religion is a, a group of rules that you have to keep. And if you're not keeping those rules, you can get kicked out. God ain't going to kick us out. And the problem is that today... Scripture says in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 11, And many false prophets shall rise, Jesus is speaking here, and shall deceive many. Now, he was talking in that day that there would be many that would come. But, you know, you and I, we, we read that and we look back on it. It's like, oh, man, those must have been horrible years. Uh, it ain't done yet. If you read 2 Timothy 3.13, the Bible says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not over yet. There are still people out there that want to deceive others. They want us to not enjoy our Christianity. They want us to come to the place where we just follow their rules. Religion is not your friend. Helps if I don't put extra pages back there. The second and maybe the most unfortunate problem this morning, a culprit, is Christianity itself. Us. We're human. And unfortunately, sometimes we leave a bad taste in people's mouth. As much as I would like to think that God 
pried my head open and poured a whole new person in there, I still struggle with the same thoughts that I struggled with as an unsaved man. I struggle with the same desires that I had as a saved, unsaved man. But now as a saved man, I've got somebody on my side that helps me not to fall prey to those. I don't have to talk the way that I used to talk. I don't have to drink what I used to drink. I don't have to go the places that I used to go. Guys, I am thankful this morning that God is my Savior. But I know that I am not a perfect representative all the time. And the moment that we think that we are a perfect representative, we have just failed. <laughs> Years ago, I went to Alliance Truck Driving School in Withville, Virginia to get my CDL so that I could drive tractor trailers. Didn't like that, decided that wasn't the thing for me. Spent all that money to go to a school that I ended up not liking. One of the instructors had a favorite phrase. The day that you go out there and you think you know everything, you're going to become a danger to everyone else. And it's very similar for us as Christians. The day we think we've got it all figured out is the day we become a danger to somebody else. Brother Schmidt in the book here, he makes mention of a quote of a man named Mahatma Gandhi. He quotes Mahatma Gandhi as saying, I'd be a Christian if it were not for Christians. And unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in that. There's another quote. I, I went looking. I'm like, okay, where is that quote? What's it from? And are there others like it? And there were multitudes more like it all from the same man. Another one is one that caught my attention. I like your Christ, he said. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's an amazing thing for a man like Gandhi to say. You know something, we're not always what we're supposed to be. And the problem is that with statements like that, there are always little fragments of truth. There's always enough truth in whatever accusation that's being made to know that, yes, it's right. We should strive. We should try to live a Christian life. But the only way we're really ever going to succeed is to come to the place where we quit trying to keep the rules for the rules' sake. We need to come to the place where we do what Christ did because we love Christ. Christianity, as Brother Schmidt puts it, has become a character of what it's supposed to be. How many of you remember when Jimmy Carter was president and the caricatures that were made of him and those great big old buck teeth on the front of that picture? Kind of sticks in my mind even after all these years. It's an exaggeration of something. And Christianity has become an exaggeration of what it's supposed to be. And unfortunately, a very imperfect one at that. The third this morning as we finish this up, the third culprit is culture itself. And the problem is we live in a world today that the devil doesn't want Christianity to succeed. He's never wanted it to succeed. He's always wanted God's plan to fail. We read through Scripture and we come across passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Culture will do everything that it can to make us as Christians look bad. 
it bothers me when you read about churches like the ones out in Westboro and the things that they do. Do I agree with homosexuality? No. It's an abomination according to Scripture. Do I agree with some other things in society? Definitely not. But the way that they are going about it is not God's way. And what we have done is we have, by their, their action, we have given the world an opportunity to say, look at them. And what they've done is they've taken that group of people and said that all Christians are just like that. We're not all like that. I had one of the best conversations with a lesbian woman in this community not too long ago, just a year or two ago. I was out knocking on doors, inviting people to church. I handed her a church tract. She goes, would you like me? I'm a lesbian. I said, you would be more than welcome in our church, but I doubt that you would like the message. She was civil. I was civil. It didn't turn into a street brawl. We can talk to them. We can be nice to them. We can be civil to them. We could try to give them the gospel. We don't have to be like them. The problem is every time you're like those others, you're giving the world an opportunity to say, look at those filthy Christians. Look what they've done. The culture today is so against Christianity that there is no doubt about it where they stand. They don't want us to succeed any more than the devil does. You may think this a little humorous, but it's not a mistake when the Bible says that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. The airwaves around us today are filled with volatility. They don't want us to succeed. This morning, I don't want you to go through this life as a miserable Christian. I don't want you to have lost your joy in the salvation that God has given to you. The other evening, I heard a, a preacher that I trust very much make a comment. He was quoting from memory uh, one of the Psalms. He said, restore unto me the joy. And then he made the same mistake that I've made so many times. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see, therein lies part of the problem. If it's my salvation, there's a real issue. But it's not mine. It's His. The Scripture actually says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When it no longer becomes about us, it changes our perspective. Everything that we do should be about Jesus Christ. What impact does my life have on others? Well, this morning we find ourselves at a place where we have probably been beating ourselves up over the Christianity that we experience and the image that we portray to the world around us. I don't want to leave you like that. I don't want to leave you in a place where you feel like, man, I've made a mess out of my life. What's the use? I can just go home now. No, there's no, no, we don't want to do that. So here in just the next second or two, we're going to have some music that begins to play, and I'm going to ask you each to stand. And as you do, I want you to examine yourself. Don't think of brothers or sister so-and-so in the room, or maybe not in the room. I want you to look at your own life. Am I really enjoying the salvation that God has given to me? 
Have I made a mess out of my life? Most of us in the room would probably answer those two questions as no, yes. There is hope for you this morning. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. He is more than willing to forgive you. As we all stand this morning, brother, as you would start the music, I'd appreciate it. And we have just a few moments as we take time to examine our life and decide how, how messed up have I made this? How bad have I performed? It's not about your performance. Can I point out to you this morning that when Christ saved you, He knew every sin that you would commit from that moment on. And yet He still loved you enough to forgive you and save you. Are you in the room this morning and maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior? As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, my question for you this morning is if you do not know Christ as Savior, would you raise your hand this morning? I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to embarrass you. I will pray for you. And I'll take time to talk to you at the end of the service if you wish. Is there one in the room this morning like that? Is there one this morning that would say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. But preacher, sometimes I just don't enjoy my salvation. Would you raise your hand this morning? I know sometimes we're embarrassed to raise our hands in a service. But if you're here this morning and you don't have the joy of your salvation, the joy of thy salvation, please talk to God. Father, this morning, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you for your grace and your mercy and helping me to be able to get through this lesson and, and maybe to be able to help some folks. But Lord, even that's not about me this morning. It's all about you. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's one in this room that the Lord would have any questions or doubts about their salvation, they'd get it settled this morning before they leave this room. Lord, if there's one in here this morning that has not been enjoying the joy that you want them to have, Father, would you restore to them this morning the joy of the salvation that you've provided for them? Would you help them to know that you do want them to live a different life, but it's got to be about because you want them to and not about a bunch of rules. God, give grace this morning, I pray. And Lord, I ask you, Father, that you would bless the morning service, help our pastor as he preaches. And Lord, just touch each heart that's here this morning, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have about nine minutes or so before the morning service. And so you're dismissed. <laughs>